the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, we're at episode 293. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Brett Roberts. And I'm Jeremy O'Hanlon. Hey, great to have you both here. Thank you for joining me. Um, Brett, maybe you can, uh, it's been a, a few weeks since you've been on the show, maybe you can remind <laughs> listeners where you, where you fit into this world of technology and business in New Zealand. I'm not sure I do fit. Uh, I work uh, at Datacom here in Auckland. I'm an associate director there. Great. And uh, Jeremy? Uh, I work in a startup called homes.co.nz and was uh, previously at Orcon, the internet company. Cool. All right. Well, uh, well, let's jump in. Now, we do want to come back to you, Jeremy, and hear a little bit about uh, what this homes.co.nz is all about, but we'll, uh, we'll come to that during the show. Um, first of all, I think we have you know, a few interesting topics to, uh, to dive into. First up, Microsoft has won an appeal against the, the US government in regards to access to data stored on, uh, on foreign servers. Now this is quite a quite an interesting uh, one because it's been going on for a number of years, sort of backwards and forwards. And I guess when we look at the US, there's there's been um, there's been a a, a lot of uh, fighting, I guess, between government and the and and the tech world, and uh, you know particularly around matters of privacy. And you know basically we had a we had a situation here where the where, where Microsoft were basically um, asked to retrieve uh, data that was on one of their servers, um, I think in Ireland in uh, in this in this case, uh, in in regards to a court case, and uh, and they really pushed back on that and um, and got themselves into uh, a little bit of trouble, contempt of court, and so on for uh, for saying that they that they wouldn't, um, but they continued to uh, pursue this and uh, seem to have come out on top. What's your thoughts on this, Brett? Does this make sense? Yeah, I guess it does make sense from a technical perspective. You know, the data sits on a server in Ireland and the US authorities want to have access to it. So there's, a, I guess, a data sovereignty argument in there. There's a privacy argument in there. I think it was really good that Microsoft stuck to their guns and I would imagine just about every tech company on the planet mm. that's got anything in a cloud thing um, see this as, as a victory. Um, and you're right, I mean, they were in a situation at one stage where they were in contempt of court and, you know, for a large... Um, American headquartered corporation to be willing to take that stand I think it's a pretty um, brave and worthy thing to do. I quite like the um, statement from the spokesperson from the, the DOJ, the Department of Justice um, in the States and this is just typical government speaking it sounds so sinister, um, you can imagine someone in a big greatcoat, leather greatcoat saying it uh, the quote is saying we are disappointed with the court's decision and are considering our options I love that, it just sounds <laughs> like yeah. beautiful though. Deep. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess you know when we think of this from say a, um, I guess there's a few perspectives to look at it. Obviously, there's that one of uh, you know law and order, uh, you know thinking around terrorism type type issues and so on. And you can see uh, from that perspective, uh, in terms of you know protecting people and so on, the government wants access to as much as possible. Mm. Uh, but then you know on on the flip side, there's uh, there's all the people whose uh, data that actually they would like to keep private. There's uh, Microsoft and and lots of other providers who are trying to do business in lots of countries, and you know they don't want to be caught in a in a really difficult position. And in fact, I think Microsoft have gone so far um, as to to work around this. So without knowing what the outcome would be. Uh, in Germany, rather than have their own uh, their own data center, in one case, they have basically paid somebody else to provide it all. So, if the uh, the Department of Justice says you need to get us the you know some information off those systems, Microsoft can basically say, well, actually, they're not our systems, and we don't own them, and we don't have control. Uh, and actually, it would be illegal for us to do so. So that you know, they, in that case, they found a way to work around it. And knowing that that's possible, I guess it. You know, it, it sort of makes sense to maybe uh, maybe just solve this in a in, in an appropriate manner, and comes down to lots of legal technicalities. Mm. Do you but, think this is the right sort of um, way that it that it should go, Jeremy? Or are we we got some? Uh, do, are we going to have some risks here from a terrorism perspective and so on if the uh, US can't reach their claws into into yeah. data everywhere in the world? I think it um, it comes down to who you see as the the good guy or the bad guy, really, and. Um, a lot of people are scared of big corporations being able to uh, do what they want with your data. And then there's uh, 
the government on the other side being able to you know access anywhere and uh, and Big Brother being able to wander through anything they want. So it's really going to uh, yeah going to be a bit of a journey over the, probably the next I don't know five ten years to figure all of this out and update legislation. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think generally from a from a customer and user p- perspective, it's a, it's a it's a win. But I'm sure there's a, another side to it, and um, you, know, you, you probably can't actually find a perfect answer to these things, can you? Well, so this is one of those classic things where the technology races ahead of where the legislation's at, right? And so yeah. you're, and, and Microsoft will be well aware that what they needed here was a test case and, and some precedent, you know. Um, and then over time, depending on whether this goes back to appeal or whatever might happen. There will be some legislation around it, and then everyone will move on. There's quite there's another interesting case that's sort of related, but not to this, which is a situation where the FBI staked out a um, child pornography ring um, a few years back, um, kept it running, and captured the details of the the people using it. Yep. Uh, and the way they did that was that they downloaded malware onto the people's computers. The whole thing's in court at the moment, and um, one of the lawyers for the defence, or defence, one of the um, people that are being prosecuted is arguing that the government shouldn't be allowed to download malware because that's an illegal thing to do, right? Yeah. The FBI's response is, actually, we're the good guys. Malware, the mal stands for malicious. We're not doing this for malicious reasons. We were doing it for good reasons. So that law doesn't apply to us. So there's a whole lot of things going on in this space mm. that need, that'll need that have to go to court and be battered around yep. before the legislation kind of then comes in and underpins some of that stuff. We live in interesting times, right? Mm. We do, we do, and you know, of course, in a situation like that where it's uh, you know related to child pornography, then I think you know a lot of people would be a bit more relaxed around saying, Microsoft, you've you've got to you've got to give them access to this data to get and, and to so get Microsoft, these guys right, and, and Microsoft mm-hmm. does right. So I, I remember when I was there and I left in two thousand and ten. If if Microsoft got a Microsoft New Zealand received a valid. Um, summons isn't the word, whatever the word is for, for information that the um, New Zealand law enforcement agencies were legally obliged to, they moved heaven and earth to get that stuff to them quickly. They worked mm-hmm. really, really quickly. There was a point in, case in point here where basically the, the bigger picture was that should the American government have access to all data on servers owned and operated by a US corporation but in another country. that, that Rather the, than being the other country's this, Yeah, law. this wasn't yeah. the thing about yeah. Microsoft handing data over. That's not the issue. They've done that for years. That's mm. off Hotmail for many, many years, right? Yeah. This was a much bigger picture, and, and that's why I think it's actually a victory. It's a it's a good good thing. It's not going to stop Microsoft handing over information as required and when required. They just wanted some lines drawn around it because, you know, how these things are, they kind of scope creep, and all of a sudden, I mean, this thing around the mm-hmm. child pornography thing, great example, right? So... I agree 100%. Is that a bad thing, downloading malware to, to pedophiles? No, it's not. What about when they start downloading it to drug dealers? That's probably, that's okay. Mm. What about if they download people who they think might be drug dealers? That's probably not okay. At what point do you draw the line? And that's yeah, what these they'll start putting it onto, yeah. you, onto your car to check whether that, you've been speeding that, and so it. on, right? That's it. So there's black, <laughs> there's white, and there's this really big chunk of grey in the middle, and, and this is all about working out where the line is in the grey, you know? Yeah. Yep, uh, that's an excellent explanation, actually, Brett. Um, you should record this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, brilliant. that's a good idea. We we should do a podcast together actually, with all these do, chats. That let's we do, do a legal podcast. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now we we've heard for some time around these, um, yeah, all sorts of cybersecurity issues, and one of the one of the common ones uh, is the the um, the fake. Uh, CEO email uh, scams, where an email appears to come from the CEO, uh, usually to somebody with um, with some financial responsibility, and it's asking them to transfer some money into a, into a bank account. Um, interestingly, this has been very common, very common in, in New Zealand. Uh, I guess both of you have probably seen some instances of of this in some form. Certainly, yeah, heard of a number of. There seem to have been a few organisations yeah. in New Zealand that are, that hit. I mean, most most people aren't hit, uh, but some people uh, succumb to it through lack of uh, internal processes and and other issues, right? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, and so, not just small organisations. No, no. We hear there's been some um, some maybe some big ones uh, locally. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, a, t- a typical situation of the the ones that that I've seen and. Uh, you know, one one case. So the uh, the financial controller got the request from the CEO to uh, to transfer X Y Z funds, uh, or they thought it was from the CEO. What had happened was, 
instead of it being from that CEO, it, it looked like exactly their correct email address, but instead of being the .co.nz, it was from the domain name with a .co on the end. So it was a uh, slight okay. variation. So it was yep. a legitimate domain name yep. um, that had probably been purchased on a, on a stolen credit card. They had researched who the key players were within the organisation, so they knew who the CEO was that they were sending on behalf of. They knew who handled the finances. And um, this particular one I'm thinking of, they uh, they asked for there to be this transfer. Um, the finance person uh, replied back with which bank account should it come out of. We've got uh, X million in this account, X million in that account. Uh, which would you prefer? Um, and fortunately, it, it, it stopped before it happened. But the reality is, some of these things, uh, some of these things actually uh, happen. And the one that we've we've heard about in the um, last little while was where, yeah, a um, a CEO was um, was dumped over a what was it? Something like 40, 40 or fifty million. Fifty two point eight million euros. Yeah. That, in uh, several transactions, that's, that's the bit massive, that intrigued yeah. me. You know, doing yeah. it once, yeah, several transactions, that's mm. odd. Mm. So there's, um, yeah, there's some, there's some crazy stuff going on, right? And there's no way now of knowing also with those scenarios whether any of the people involved actually were part of it because these sorts of things could happen and somebody could be party to it and could get away with not being taken to court because they just say well point the I, finger I, I didn't know but you know actually uh you know people with access to uh to big funds potentially could be involved in that as well yeah. so yeah, it might be a new um, form of fraud yeah. yeah 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 so there's there's some there's some pretty scary aspects to it um this is an area within gorilla that we we spend quite a lot of time with our customers uh talking to them around cybersecurity, and this is part of the training that we run through uh with them is showing them some of the examples of what what can happen Telling them some of the stories and and teaching them what sort of things to uh, to look to look out for and uh, you know I think it's something that probably is lacking in a lot of organisations is actually uh, considering these things and what the impact would be. Well, I'll tell yeah, you, I've, yeah, I've got a for what it's worth, got a handy hint in the space, and that is um, when you receive um, LinkedIn requests, take thirty seconds to actually go and have a look at who it is that's sending the request. I probably get three or four a week from people that have virtually nothing in their profile. They've got a photo. They're the things like sales manager at ANZ Bank and weird job titles like that. Yep. And they're people that are specifically fishing around for information um, because once you're in and you can see people's contacts, I've hidden my contacts from everyone as well, but once you can get in, most people don't hide their contacts. You can see who's who in the zoo. You can start to build a picture of an organisation very quickly with, mm. with tools like LinkedIn. Um, it's then not hard to work out email address standards. Oh, look, it's first name dot last name here's the CEO, we could probably get in touch with him or the CFO. You don't need a lot of information to actually put together a pretty credible um, email, right? And what's amazed me is the number of times I've pinged emails to people on LinkedIn going, I've received this request from this person, they look as dodgy as hell, and you've added them as a friend. Yeah. Do you yeah. really know them? And then I've they come done out and go, Oh, no, I don't. Well, maybe you should delete them, you know? Yeah. Amazing, eh? Oh, yeah, click, click, yes, 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 I like friends. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, it seems the to be it seems to be quite a quite a common one, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, you could see similar types of things that happen through uh, uh, Facebook. Obviously, there's different types of information people will, will gather from yeah. that. But uh, yeah, I saw one on uh, Facebook, and I hadn't clicked that I was already connected with that person. Oh, yeah, al- duplicate already. Yeah, and so it was a duplicate, and then the duplicate started firing off the oh look I've been stuck while I'm traveling and um, I need some help with some funds to get out of a messy situation and so on and uh, and away you go and of course that happens with people also losing their phones losing sim cards there are a whole lot of scenarios where those sorts of uh, that sort of trickery uh, come comes into play Mm. uh, and over over email and so on but uh, you know and it it tends to pull at the heartstrings and uh, um, you know when they when they highlight how urgent it is uh, some people get uh, get pulled into it yeah it's yeah. a common one isn't it friends overseas and social engineering and, yeah incredibly stuff. powerful you know mm. humans you connect with them at it with a with people at an emotional level you know there's a sense of urgency or mm. something could go terribly wrong if you don't do this immediately people do all sorts of unnatural stuff mm. now we do like talking about technology and and vehicles uh, and it seems to be becoming a more and more uh, common occurrence uh, we've got another excuse this week, and this is the self-driving Mercedes-Benz bus, which has uh, 
taken a milestone journey in the um, the Netherlands. It's a, a, a 20 kilometre uh, journey. It's from uh, Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport, one I've been to quite a few times, uh, between there and Haarlem, which is uh, one of the, one of the towns that's um, that's well within 20 kilometres. I guess it's fairly nearby. Oh, um, and yeah, I guess this you know this is very much just the start of what will what will become absolutely the uh, the norm for us but at the moment it's uh it's big news but it won't be uh won't be too far before uh you know we're we're wondering we're wondering what what the story is about because it's uh it's just every day right mm. just seems like this is a, um it's more a matter of how quickly the uh, the snowball is going to come with this stuff it's uh it's on its way what's going to sort of hold it back for a while i guess is legislation and um that sort of thing but it's yeah it's going to come a time where it's a uh, um a massive groundswell and it impacts things from you know housing and where, where you choose to live to infrastructure in a in a city like Auckland it's a it's a massive thing yeah the, the, this stuff really interests me at the moment I talked to a lot of people about the futures of technology and, and autonomous transports one of those things um, and this I mean buses are just big trucks right so they're already experimenting in the United States with autonomous trucks dreamliners mm. um, there are three and a half million truck drivers in the United States they are, if, if you go and have a look by state, truck driver and primary school teacher are the two most common jobs. And I've just looked up here in the United States, there's 665,000 bus drivers, right? So you, you start to build this picture of yeah. n- not only, uh, I mean, the technology is amazing, but as you were saying, that the impact, potential impact on um, jobs, you know, mm. is just incredible. And I, I don't think anyone's really figured out what happens and the ripple effect is huge what happens with truck stops what you know yep. there's there's all sorts of things that start to flow out of this so i think the technology is racing ahead at a incredible pace it'll happen faster than we realize i think mm-hmm. we'll have autonomous vehicles on the road here um, sooner than a lot of people um, probably think the only thing that's holding back probably is road quality here um, and then what happens i don't know yeah, and I mean, it, it definitely is going to create some uh, some challenges that we that we need to we need to look at in terms of the way that society uh, operates as as a lot of things move to to really ro- you know robotic uh, moving into the hands of, of robotics and a uh, you know driverless vehicle is, is just another another robot and yeah. we, you know I think we're going to see uh, lots and lots of robots um, that three and a half million uh, professional truck drivers in the US that took me by surprise I had in my head a number of one million but three three point five million yeah. is huge and once you add in as you say uh, bus drivers and then taxi drivers and so on that's actually a, a really a really big number that will be impacted um, and as you say it's going to be a fairly short uh, space of time within the next decade and yeah, um, for sure the other thing that's interesting with the truck drivers is that they are the vast proportion of the US middle class now so the American middle class has been you know absolutely decimated over the last 10 or 15 years as has happened in a lot of other countries I was reading some stats recently around what um, the, the average truck driver earns quite well in the middle class salary range. Mm. Um, there's a lot of them, obviously, that, you know, in a in a part of the demographic that's already been decimated. What happens when it gets decimated even more? You know, the pitchforks will be out shortly. So it's mm. <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Because it creates a distribution of well, things get yeah. will get cheaper, um, but it's it's you know a small increment for a lot of people but uh but then there's the minority that are just going to lose their their primary source yeah. of income so yeah i th- there's um i guess going to be more and more discussion around this as we get closer yeah. to it but it will, it, it will it will move fairly quickly and you know i think the reason why it moves fairly quickly um you know becomes very obvious once you start looking at the numbers and it's uh, you know if you can spend you know even if it's an extra 20k uh, or an extra 50k on top of the cost of what a truck or a car or a bus would normally cost for it to, to drive autonomously uh, when you displace that salary and allow it to work 24-7 it's an absolute no-brainer to uh, um, to do that in fact even if it were hundreds of thousands uh, in a lot of cases the decision would be yes uh, but the reality as we know is the actual cost of doing it um, is going to be fairly a fairly small incremental cost on top of the vehicle um, the main uh, challenge will be whether they can retrofit the older vehicles uh, and how easily that will be to do and of, of course they've already done that to a degree in a lot of these uh, tests um, or you know whether it will just 
you know push new transactions for uh, for new vehicles. But uh, I think most of that is going to you know the numbers are just going to add up, and uh, it will be uncompetitive to do anything else other than uh, other than to push these buttons, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean you look at um, the Teslas now that have um, near not autonomous, but you know you certainly shouldn't watch Harry Potter DVDs while you're doing it. But you know they're yep. pretty they're pretty good. Um, I have no idea what that technology costs, but it can't be all that much because it doesn't make the cars utterly and completely unaffordable. They're not the cheapest cars on the planet now, mm. um, but it's obviously. Um, I know, think it's a two two thousand dollar US add on or something like that. So it's, that's, it's not it's not a. So for a truck, it'll be three or mm. four or five. It's not going to be a hundred grand. Mm. It doesn't take long to get payback from that. And the other thing that's happening in the states with the Dreamliners they're testing over there, there's still a human in the cab. They're just not a qualified truck driver. It's labour, but cheaper labour. Mm. And they okay. can be they can be sleeping and and so yeah, on while or watching it's, Harry Potter DVDs while while, it, while it's moving right yeah um, yeah I looked at uh, I looked at a vehicle in the in the US which is sort of um, you know got testbed technology in it this was at uh, Microsoft's uh, WPC and um, I forget the name of the the company it will uh, it'll it'll come back to me um, but they. They provide basically the the platform for um, you know the the driverless uh, pieces of technology, and they can plug them into pretty much any vehicle that's got the, that's got the um, no, it's another one. Israeli company, no, because um, Mobileye have just signed. I think that might have been. A, I think that might have been a, a German um, a German company, um, and the. The, basically, the bits and pieces they've got can actually plug into lots of existing vehicles because at the higher end, they're, they're building all this, all the safety features in anyway. Yeah. So the vehicles have most of the bits and pieces to be able to drive uh, autonomously. So uh, what they showed me was, uh, I think it was a, an Audi. Um, yeah, that's, that that's Mobileye. That, okay. Yep. Um, that Israeli had, company. That had been fitted out with, uh, with, the, with the bits and pieces and um, you know, away you go. Now, what they showed me in the boot was was quite large, and they were saying, "Well, the, re- the, the you know, this could all be miniaturized and be much smaller." But they said, "Look, this is sort of a standard kit that we can move in and plug into different vehicles, mm. uh, and it just plugs into the various interfaces and, and bits and pieces uh, in the vehicles, and you know, depending on what sensors are are in a particular uh, vehicle, and uh, and away they go." Um, so you know, most of the building blocks and so on are, are actually there in lots and lots of vehicles, and uh, you know it's just there's only um, there's only a, uh, you know you can count them on one hand the uh, uh, the manu- manufacturers that have enabled any of this capability um, at a at a high level, but um, you know it, it's uh, it's pretty easy for well, them the- to uh, flick the switches and and, and normalise it. Uh, fairly soon, and yeah, I guess there's there's a bit more data they'll need to collect on New Zealand's roads to uh, to tie into that. How do they Definitely. how do they deal with you know d- driving up Tongariro, Mount Hutt, and these <laughs> these sorts of things, uh, the remarkables, and uh, and and do it safely and, and cope with the the conditions. But uh, yeah, in reality, they'll be drawing so much data. Uh, it won't be too long before they can do a much better job than we can. That would be my uh, my my bet if I had to place a bet on it. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, humans are terrible things to allow to drive a thousand pounds of steel hurtling mm. along at hundred kilometres an hour. Right. Yeah. Um, the Mobileye thing is quite interesting. Uh, very long story, but I'd had a look at these guys before, and um, they've got a device that's something like a thousand dollars that you can stick on the dashboard of your um, car or truck, and it's got a camera in it. It's got um, visual recognition software. It can spot cyclists, it can spot stop signs, it can spot white lines down the middle of the road, warn people if you're veering over the line. It's just a an add-in thing like a GPS unit or a, or a speed detector. Yeah. Um, and they've just signed this big OEM deal with Audi and a couple of other car manufacturers to you you know they're providing the smarts, the vision kind of software. And and you're right, you know, really all that needs to be added in the average car, you know, higher end car, is something that moves the steering wheel, the auto, uh, th- um, you know, pilot uh, auto throttle. What do you call it? Speed. What do you call that thing? Accelerator? Yeah, no, no, that's the thing you shove. But what do you call it when you get cruise control? Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. your help. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Accelerator. Snoozing here. I was uh, re- reading my tweets. Looking for Pokemon. That's what you're doing. <laughs> Don't fool me. Yeah, so I, this is going to be a really interesting space because this stuff will be, like you say, a $2,000 add-in for cars. Mm. It, it is for Teslas now. It'll be in other cars, what, two years? And for Tesla, I think it's pretty much a software upgrade. I'm not sure there's actually yeah. any, any I think hardware. The sensors are in there. They just roll the software yeah, out. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, I think the yeah. roading, the the information from the roading will be interesting where it comes from yeah. as well. I mean, just the ability to start crowdsourcing that information. So, 
sure New Zealand's roads are pretty are pretty rough, but if you've got a bunch of cars going through yeah. collecting data on a per minute basis, you know, it just starts to feed a pretty pretty heavy set of data. Yeah. Now the um, the one the one that we referenced um, the Mercedes um, bus, the way they were doing that was. Uh, there is infrastructure to vehicle communications in place, yep. uh, so it's getting it's getting that feedback of what the traffic lights are doing and and so on. And uh, that's been part of the holdup. And uh, in fact, I found the company that I I saw Brett was a different one, at okay. IAV. Um, okay. So their their office was in um, uh, Michigan. So they're um, they're I guess tied tied into the. Um, um, the world of Detroit and the uh, U.S. motoring industry, but I th- I think their uh, their their parent is a um, well, I could be wrong. I think they were uh, a German parent company. So I guess there's a few companies that are working in similar spaces. But yeah, I'm uh, sure right. the gentleman that I spoke to from uh, from their firm, he was he was suggesting that it, it could take a little bit longer than some of us are predicting. In order to put in place some of those sort of standards and to get all of the, you know, all of the organisations on board, so there's legal aspects to it. Yeah. Uh, there's agreeing on standards for the infrastructure to vehicle communications and also the vehicle to vehicle communications. Now, what we know at the moment is actually a lot of these vehicles can operate without that stuff, and so you've got to weigh up how important is it for those things to be there because you know humans don't need a, uh, you know, don't need to be getting you know sent something telling them that there's a car coming around the corner and that the lights are red we just look and and already lots of vehicles have uh have the smarts to be able to read uh you know read the signs to see what the speed limit is at the moment and 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 so on so um you know i don't know how important those vehicle to vehicle communications are and i don't think it will be too hard for them to uh, add those in and what those will do is is just um uh, reduce even more um, the uh, the risk factors of these vehicles being on the road. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, there's some parallels with aviation in some ways. A- aircraft do communicate with each other, but they don't have to communicate with each other. You know, they've got standards set up and corridors set up and a whole bunch of other things where, you know, they can fly relatively autonomously, not autonomously as in pilots, but they don't need to be communicating with everything around them. I guess they do navigationally. Um the, what's going to slow things down will be legislation. Yeah, that that'll definitely take a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and human mind, you know, just mindsets around this. There'll be some people that this gives the heebie-jeebies too. Um, there'll be others that leap into it, boots and all. You know, mm. the tricky thing will be that first day you're driving down the motorway and you're driving, but the guy next to you is reading the newspaper. That's you know where you, mm. your faith will be tested. Do you want to get back yeah. on the road the next or, morning? Or yeah. someone bangs into the back of you. Yeah, right? that's right. And, and there's no one there. <laughs> <laughs> And there's some there's some interesting rules at, at the moment. So um, the the chap from IAV, um, what he was telling me because they they you know modified a, a, a traditional vehicle, and uh, you know it was able to steer and, and so on. And he was telling me about a journey that uh, that he was on. I think with one of the engineers from the from the company. And you look at the dash, and it's uh, it's really cool. Um, it's actually uh, their one is a uh, all windows based. And uh, you know, so well, well, what happens if uh, if you get some sort of malfunction with this uh, Windows, you know, user interface? You know, I don't know, needs to do an update or something, right? <laughs> yeah, um, shuts you down. You know, or, 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 pops up. Whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, he said, well, actually, they did have a malfunction on uh, on on one of the tests. And he said, this is uh, this is what we do because I mean, it, it was just you know, there's not a whole lot of information that comes up on the dash. It's not, it's not essential. I think the vehicle was still, you know, was still able to, uh, you know, function and, and, and so on. Uh, but then he opened up the glove box and uh, in the glove box were the normal uh, speedometer and other things that were usually in the dash, the old school ones. And uh, the, the rules are in the, apparently in the US that uh, you, gotta have, you have to keep the original, the original controls. So they had basically just moved all of them and you open up the glove box and, uh, and there they are you can see your old school uh, um, speedometer and your petrol gauge and you know your rpm and and, yeah. and so on was just sitting there so if you go into the flight yeah. deck of even the most modern aircraft today there will be uh airspeed indicator attitude director and a compass that are all old school mm. um, instruments no electronics other than a light that, that they all just in case mm. no one ever uses them hopefully but they're there just in case. Same thing, right? Yeah. Just yeah. when it all turns to the proverbial, yeah. You know, pop the pop the glove box open and 
yeah. Of course, yeah. You, you die instantly as you look down into the glove box to see the speed you're doing. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, now, Jeremy, I think uh, you probably should fill us in on... Um, on homes.co.nz uh, yes. I think yes, you know sure. we've, we've chatted I think on, on the podcast about the website in, in the past I know we certainly have on the show on Radio Live fill us in who, who is this company and what are you doing I'm familiar with uh, with QV, who have been around for a, a long time, quotable value, who have yep. you know been sort of a go to if if you're wanting to get you know details about a property and who owns it and you know getting an estimate of maybe what a what a property is worth based on you know all sorts of factors. But they've been a reasonably sort of you know expensive subscription service, and then in behind the scenes, of course, those in the real estate industry have had access to all sorts of data. Yep. You're sort of making a lot of that data just available for for free to everyone yeah we are essentially so uh, we've got 1.4 million homes worth of data now out of um, arguably 1.7 million so uh, we've essentially taken the models of um, it's it's not a new world over in the UK there's Zoopla Um, over in America there's Zillow Um, Mm. you look at most property portals uh, sort of spaces and there's layers of uh, public record data like sales histories um, council valuations, valuation sort of details like whether it's got a view and how big the house is, that sort of stuff. And it just helps people to inform themselves around property decisions, essentially. So, uh, so this is a free a free website that enables people to go and explore that stuff, and it's it's a first in New Zealand. That's cool. And um, how do you do it? You must be drawing information from lots of different lots of different sources. Yeah, so we've got um, we've literally gone hand to hand with over sixty councils around New Zealand now. Um, it's been a bit of a journey, and they um, extract their data out to us, and we sort of take it and uh, and massage it into a, a nice sort of map interface so that you can explore it. And um, and then there's corporate partners, so the likes of the AMI or Westpac have got they've got data sets as well, and they're just interested in ways to uh, to help people along their property journey with data essentially it's pretty cool now you were telling me i think you joined back in october and there were maybe half a dozen people in the company there's now over 20 how how will you make money because there's obviously a you know a fair cost to doing that i'm sure there's a lot of costs in terms of your technology infrastructure and whatever transactions you do with the councils uh, you know i imagine uh, you know maybe they wanted a, a dollar or two for the work that they put into feeding data in your direction and and so yep. on yeah they did and it's a um it's sort of a journey we're going on with councils in terms of um because the council's data sets are um notoriously um it's tough to keep them quality you know so we're uh We've got an opportunity to feed back quality data, um, sort of crowdsource data back into the councils to help them make better decisions. Um, that's sort of a, a longer term view, I guess. But there's really um, an opportunity for us to partner with corporates like like Westpac and AMI, but then co- um, real estate sort of organisations and individuals as well. So real estate agents can claim sales dating back sort of 20 years in some places um, and build a credible credible view of themselves you know cool i'm just i'm just curious we had uh, lily and grace on the podcast a little while ago from uh, figure nz are you, are you doing any interactions with um with figure nz they've taken all sorts of data and numbers from around the country and uh and make it very easy for people to uh, access and uh, and to utilize that uh, that data no it's been um uh, we've we've really i guess bitten off a lot just working with these um these 60 odd councils at this stage so it's um it's a focus on getting that all all cleaned up and and quality. Just matching it to to address is uh, is surprisingly tricky. <laughs> um, who would have thought that the council's data was not the cleanest of of data sets? Um, but then starting to look into um, layering on data around commute times, um, school zones just went up last week. Um, there's there's a massive data across Lynn's, the Electricity Commission. Um, you know, real estate companies themselves. There's all sorts of stuff out there that can help New Zealanders along their property journey. Um, and it's not all about sort of the, the transaction, I guess. It's um, as a homeowner, you know, what's my home worth? What's it doing over time? What would happen if I wanted to add a bedroom? You know, what would that do to my valuation? That sort of stuff. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's quite cool. interesting. And and I mean, there are all sorts of um, scenarios too. I was uh, you know looking through at uh, at rental properties recently, and I looked at Trade Me, who I understand that um, you guys have done some sort of partnership with, which has probably been got a lot of people aware that that you exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was comparing what, what data they put up as opposed to what data the real estate institute through realestate.co.nz put up. Yep. And Trade Me, for instance, give you a link that you can click to find out about you know, what sort of internet you can you could get at a particular property. But realestate.co.nz just goes straight through and they've collated that data and you see it right there on the right there on the page. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think it, you know, it's it's once you start sort of delving into this. Um, there's all sorts of possibilities for where what information potentially could come together and totally. uh, the smart and, and cool stuff that could be done, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was at Orcon, so um, the, one of the first data sets that I wanted to pull in was UFB availability and uh, being able to map search that essentially rather than sort of just see it. Um, so that's uh, it's definitely on the list that, that's been ticked off currently. Um, there's heaps. It's really exciting. It's cool. It is very cool. It's a good site. It's a good-looking site. So um, when I look at uh, QV and I, I've, had a, I've had a subscription on their site to sort of you know keep up on some um, some property values, you pay them a subscription fee. Now you guys are offering a similar type of service, but it's it's entirely free. Is yeah, I, I don't think we have any doing? friends at um, at CoreLogic who power <laughs> QV.co.nz. Um, they're a US company, so we're not too concerned. Um, but the the data sets that come out of council are essentially the same. So if you're paying qv.co.nz for the likes of um, sales histories, um, you're, you're throwing your money to the wind now, I guess, because they're all freely available on, on homes. Um, same with, you know, council valuations, estimated values. We run an algorithm every month that, that gives an estimated value on a house. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's going to be quite interesting. I I notice what they do is every week they update their, uh, their, their valuations. Mm-hmm. Um and there definitely can be quite a bit of variation between the valuation you you guys are doing at the moment and what they're doing. I guess that's something over time. The more data you get, uh, the smarter and smarter you can get in terms of how you do those those valuations. I think one that I looked at, uh, the difference between their valuation, which I I thought was was probably, you know, reasonably within Kui, and yours was, you know, maybe 30, there was 30% different. Now, Mm. I'm sure that... um, yeah, it's probably not not the norm for there to be that much difference. Probably yep. in most cases, they're probably reasonably uh, reasonably uh, similar. But what sorts of things will you will you be able to do to make those uh, those figures sort of you know more close to reality over over time? Can you draw on extra data and extra bits and pieces that will actually um, uh, you know fill out your uh, your picture? Yeah, one of the uh, the exciting, I guess, new approaches that we're taking is enabling people to claim their home. And uh, we just launched last week being able to update bedroom and bathroom data. Um, but you imagine being able to go on there, tell us about um, whether you have air conditioning, double glazing, all these things that the council record has never had. Um, and we feed that, we can feed that all into an evaluation model essentially um, sales data you imagine whenever you sell a property there's a listing which has all sorts of information about it whether it's double glaze that sort of stuff so you put the sales history with the um, the listing data set that comes out and you can start building a pretty cool model which um, which essentially tells you what features help a property to uh, to be valued for more Right, yeah, that's that's quite fascinating because yeah, to to date, none of those sorts of things have been would have been taken into consideration because the information just yeah didn't didn't exist other than in other than in people's own heads rather than being yeah. sitting there within a central database. Mm. Yeah, it's really cool. It's I mean, it's we're not um we're we're not doing anything too globally um, crazy or innovative. You look at um, Zoopla, and there's probably about forty different. Um, things that you can tell Zoopla about a property and it all gets thrown into the to the estimate so um, it's it's just the New Zealand the New Zealand environment I guess um, with with trade me being a focus of New Zealand's sort of uh, of world uh, worldview almost it's uh, it, it's just delayed a lot of this innovation to come in so um, we do have a we've got a corporate partner you blame me trade me for all our problems <laughs> a little bit <laughs> Interesting, interesting. So, um, so where to from? Where to from here? What What's next? 
So um, obviously we'll be we'll be able to you'll be able to filter by school zones shortly. So if you're only interested in say moving into a double grammar zone, that sort of stuff. Um, really, our focus is on building relationships with homeowners over a longer period of time. You know, so um, jumping on claiming your home and being able to do more things in that space is uh, is what's coming pretty quickly. Uh, we've also just partnered with a few um, pretty decent the sized um ray white is is kind of coming on ray white remuera is our first auckland office to come on board and their listings start appearing as well so um we'll be putting listings up there more and more right okay so you'll you'll have pro- those property listings yep. so that's one of you because i was just going to ask you know in terms of looking at and 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 maybe you don't want to specifically talk about any um you know unique things you're doing but in terms of what's happening elsewhere in the world where similar things are happening um what are the monetization models and uh you know how do you uh, how do you um earn off all those people that are uh, that are that are sitting sitting there needing to get paid what are the uh, what are the, t- the techniques so listings one of them what sorts of other yeah things? so there's lots of um there's lots of revenue i guess in the traditional sort of property portals where you have um, premium listings and and that sort of stuff um we're we're a little bit backwards on that, I guess. We sort of see that um, uh, that sort of drying up over over the years to come. It's more about enabling um, the likes of real estate agents to um, to connect with uh, property owners earlier on in their journey. Um, it's obviously valuable for for agents, um, and it's it's a useful tool across the likes of architects and builders and um, and lawyers and all the people that sort of want to touch a um, a homeowner through the journey. Um, so that's kind of our focal point i guess it's not not solely on the transaction associated with a with a purchase but um on that whole journey that you might go through around a renovation or around um just keeping like a service record of your house you know you um you do that with a car and you pass it over um but who's ever bought a house where um where they've got a a list of all the receipts and, and the warranties and who the builder was that did this and all of that sort of stuff just gets lost across a home so um so ultimately, you'd be able to upload all those sorts of bits and bits and pieces to your record. Yeah, so we've got yeah. this timeline that's pretty, um, pretty sort of, um, it's in its sort of infancy at the moment. But this timeline shows, you know, its sales history, rateable value, that sort of thing. But um, moving down the track, you'll be able to start adding in your own, uh, your own events essentially, and that grows out to being uh, supporting the likes of architects and. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big product that mm. can that can grow from this. What about? Yeah. Um, what about connecting potential home buyers with potential home sellers without a real estate agent in the middle? Oh, here's an interesting house. Oh, I quite like that. Well, here's the timeline. The yep. disintermediation model. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting space that... Uh, so the CEO of Zillow over in, in America, um, it's obviously the largest property portal in America. They have... Um, pretty firmly essentially put a line in the sand that says um, we believe that real estate agents are a necessary part of a transaction um, and we're essentially agreeing and I think the global um, global movement is is agreeing with us um, there's just a it's such a key part in somebody's life you know for, for just average Joe mum and dads um, you know you could you can invent some sort of automated model or peer-to-peer model in the likes of um of silicon valley where every everybody is very um sort of uber tech focused but for middle mum and dads at at this stage um i I really believe that there's a, a need to um to connect in with an expert it's a matter of making sure that they're experts essentially is yeah. is the key that the is the game that we want to play yeah and i guess there's um there's a slice of money there that having a real estate agent in the mix means that you guys can take your cut out of, or you know, other bit, other bits and pieces. Whereas if that disappeared uh, in, entirely, that's going to change. That's going to change the picture some somewhat as well. Yeah, I'm sure we could monetize putting buyers and sellers together. Um, it's I just don't think it would fundamentally help a transaction be um, be best for a, a person trying to sell that that property. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I've always thought there's an opportunity to go in and and I don't know, go to one of the properties there, right-click it, go, tell me if this ever pops up on the market or advise the person that owns it if they ever, I don't know, just somehow, you know, pre-buying. I don't know what the term yeah, is. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I mean, this is what um, our CEO, John Holt, he uh, he literally did this to a, to a property um, and ended up, you know, selling it via a piece of paper in, in a mailbox sort of thing. <laughs> but um, this was years back. And the focus uh, around the business, I guess, is just making sure that 
people get better information. So I have a dream house that I'd love to live in up in, in Red Beach sort of thing and I'd love to know if it ever goes on to market. So I've, I've favorited the property and um, and I'm just awaiting the email from home cool. to sort of say, um, hey, it's the listing's up, go check it out. Mm. Cool, cool. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Um, thanks for that. We'll, we'll look forward to hearing an, an update on that. I, I mean, I think there is, you know, being quite new, there's still some you know, some data that will improve over time. I think, you know, I said yeah, to you, sure. we were chatting, uh, you know, some of the properties on the, you're not showing how many bedrooms, but then say, you know, you go into QV and they've got a record of, of how many bedrooms and things like that. But mm-hmm. it sounds like you're going to have a lot more data over time as people sort of start, if you can crowdsource that data and, and, and fill in a lot more. Yep. Uh, I guess that will that will take some time though, won't it? Yeah, that's the yeah. key, yeah. is pulling, yeah. pulling data in from the crowd and, um, and doing that in a way that gives them value, you know. Yep, yeah, that's really good. So basically, anyone can just jump on the site and register, and I mean, you can just go and look at any home, right? And get, yeah, you get don't what even... your estimated valuations are. Uh, you can see yep. it highlights sort of recent sales in the area just on the map, and you can just go and click on them and without shelling out a cent. So it's quite cool in those regards, right? Yeah, man, it's it's really um, it's you just got to leave a bit of uh, put a bit of time aside, I guess. It's quite um. It grabs you and you wander through your neighbourhood and you start checking out what your friends sold, bought their house for and, you know, before you know it, you've spent half an hour mucking around. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, I can uh, I, I can imagine that. could be time-consuming. Mm. Um, now, on to other, other subjects. Um, we sometimes talk about gadgets. So just got, uh, just heard, was last night that Microsoft's new Xbox One S is launching on the 2nd of August so that's our little bit of uh, gadgety uh, gadgety <laughs> news um, what I haven't seen yet and um, I'm sure this will probably be online very soon if it's not already online yet is whether New Zealand is getting this new um, Xbox One S in this launch time frame and it looks like it probably is so yes so new zealand's new zealand's on the list so cool. we're a few days out from the new uh, the new xbox which um has it's me, pretty let me, cool let me just double check is definitely covering i've clicked the link on the document you sent us and got the article about the mercedes-benz autonomous bus so yeah <laughs> oh sorry okay no so new zealand new zealand is is apparently on the list 649 dollars in new zealand and this has a two must be a two terabyte hard drive there's a typo in this uh in this article on online from netguide and it's going to be offer 4k ultra hd, ultra HD blu-ray and apparently is the um uh, we'll be able to uh, upscale some of the Xbox One games to uh, to 4K as well, and is said to be the cheapest 4K Blu-ray player on the uh, market, or Ultra HD uh, Blu-ray player on the market. So, yeah. uh, so that's that's not a not a bad buy if you're into uh, watching the very ultra high definition videos. So, actually, this, I'm just cool. going through the website. Um, it is coming to New Zealand because there's a New Zealand version of the Xbox One S website. Uh, it's got an IR blaster into it that'll turn on other devices like your TV, audio, video receiver, and cable satellite receiver. Whether you're playing a game or watching a movie, the integrated IR blaster will get you to the action faster, allowing you to leave your remotes behind. So it's this classic thing of getting into the lounge and trying to shove some of the other do devices a, do out. A, do a little bit more. And yeah. uh, Bluetooth in there as well that I don't think yeah. they had before. I'm pretty sure that the uh, infrared blaster was already in there because oh, I know okay. uh, when I turn off my uh, Xbox, it also turns off um, the uh, stereo amplifier as, as well. So I'm pretty sure that's been, that's been in the previous oh, right. Xbox One, cool. one already. But uh, Available August. Yeah, so uh, buy one of those. Week or two away. So yeah. uh, it's a very, very nice. Um, now we had a couple of other things we try and uh, try and get through before we uh, before we wrap up. Uber, they're in the news now. We often talk about how cool their their business model is and so on, but um, they're getting, um, I think, a little bit. Uh, They've been a little bit naughty uh, lately, I guess, and it seems to be a common thing around the world where they uh, uh, they flaunt the rules. So they've been getting a bit of bad press around that. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, people aren't too happy that they've only paid uh, $9,397 worth of tax uh, for, their, uh, for their last year's earnings. Yes, and all um, completely legal. Yes. That's, that's the right. line that normally gets trotted out, although... By PR people, I'm not sure that Urban New Zealand have PR people. They don't seem to do a very crash hot job of it. 
No. If no. I could give them a recommendation, it would be get some good PR people. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a little bit hard to address these things. And um, yeah. I mean, John Campbell did uh, did his interesting uh, podcast um, where he uh, he picked on Apple for uh, you know for their similar type yeah. of uh, scenario where they don't pay many uh, many taxes and in New Zealand and, and, and you, you yeah. could you know you could pick on you know pretty much um, uh, any of those big multinationals, particularly the, uh, the 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 tech type firms where you know you, they they very easily manage to uh, offshore all of the uh, all of the all of the profits somehow. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was uh, it was interesting. I had a little bit of fun uh, trying out a couple of their services while while I was away. So I tried our Uber Pool, um, which is their um, I guess uh, pooling service. Or and you know what what that allows you to do is um, basically share the share the vehicle with I think up to three passengers. Um, so I tried that on uh, on a few occasions just to see how well it worked. And on a long journey from the airport, that was uh, was pretty good, but it wasn't much of a discount. Um, a, a shorter journey around the city. Um, sometimes the um, uh, the fee I paid was something like half what the normal journey would be. So I'm not quite sure how that how that actually balances out to. Uh, um, to uh, being worthwhile for for them, um, but you lose a little bit of time because you've got to go and pick up another passenger, and depending on where you are in the journey, whether you get dropped off first or first or last. But it made some sense, and I think that you know the world that we're we're moving into, and there were some times there uh, in Toronto where there were sixteen thousand people in town for the Microsoft conference, where uh, uh, resources were a little bit stretched, and so in those cases, it sort of it's you know it made sense to be someone helping rather than creating more transport problems to actually use the Uber pool and and, uh, and share the vehicle uh, rather than clogging up the roads uh, even more and leaving somebody else uh, standing on the pavement so um, you know there are some there are some good aspects to uh, to that and I think as we move into that autonomous world this sort of thing will get much better and uh, and, and much 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 smarter when a lot more of the journeys are being uh, are being handled by an Uber or, or similar type of service right yeah I suspect so yeah and the other one I tried was uh, Uber Eats, and uh, you know, basically using a, using uh, they've got a they've got another app that you click through to from the main uh, from the main app, and uh, just lets you order food. And it was a very very simple experience, uh, and you know they just had a whole bunch of of, of restaurants and, and takeaways and so on that were hooked into it. But virtually as easy as calling an Uber, where you just go and click through very easily. It's tied back. It's already got your payment mechanism. Uh, and in the case of Toronto, they had um, uh, cycle couriers um, that you know carry around the smartphone on the front of their bike, and uh, and away they go, pick up, deliver, and you know a, a pretty seamless, uh, pretty seamless experience to so uh, you, to get your lunch. You had a simplified menu then that you had to choose from, or was it pretty? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a pretty pretty simple menu. They had they actually had two options. They had uh, one option which was guaranteed or supposedly guaranteed delivery in ten minutes. So that was some very simple options. Um, so that was their express menu. And so if you just like, oh, I need some lunch, um, then you know, I guess they've got a few spots maybe that are very central that have standardised things that are all ready, and they just you know the courier just you know jumps in, picks it up, and drops it off. And then there are other ones where they actually have to uh, you know prepare something you know slightly unique for you, or it needs to you know needs ten minutes worth of cooking before it's going to be ready. And that that was what I went for. It didn't have an I, I'm feeling lucky button. No, 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 there wasn't actually. That would be a good suggestion, yeah, I, wouldn't I'd it? Try yeah. That. yeah, but yeah, it was uh, it was good and it was simple and uh, you know again, I guess just a, a taste of uh, of where things are where things are heading and um, yeah, it's it's all going to be I guess robots that are that are tending to deliver some some of these sorts of things in the yeah, future that aren't and paid may, tax and maybe doing the, and maybe doing the cooking. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, I think yeah. isn't there a company in the UK looking at um, using small robots like little like a chili bin on wheels for delivering pizzas or something aren't they experimenting with it yeah so Domino's did a did, did oh, something did they yeah, so they've, they've announced that they're going to be launching that I think in New Zealand like, and, and, just, and yeah, Australia it's on the front page of the app okay. of their app yeah. at the moment oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just, like, uh, so there's all, all sorts of all sorts of these things <laughs> yeah. that are going on now, uh, PushPay is a New Zealand company that's been doing uh, in- incredibly well. If yeah, you look fantastic. at their uh, their their share uh, valuation, I think last time I looked, they were in the range of uh, half a half a billion dollars. Um, now they they started out as a very simple app, and when I first first came across them, I you know I wondered what uh, what this opportunity was uh, for them. 
and what they what they they've they've started out uh, being as a as a company uh, that would take uh, donations, I think, to not for profits and 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 churches, and churches yeah. um, predominantly. And it would just make that process simpler. You register with the app, your credit card details, and then when you want to make that donation or transaction, you just tap in, and it's it's uh, I guess very very simple uh, user interface and, and and experience, and uh, and the transactions are done. Now you know they're launched here in uh, in New Zealand, um, but they've since moved out into the new U.S. market, where apparently they've captured. Uh, 1.5% of the, um, I guess, the, the church market. Mm. Uh, and apparently they've got quite a number, uh, quite a high percentage of the of the uh, the biggest churches there. And in the US they have these sort of mega churches with, I don't know, tens of thousands of, uh, tens of, thousands of people that uh, are bringing in many, many millions of dollars. And uh, by hitting up those big ones, I guess that's uh, that's going to bring quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of cash mm. through. Uh, but their their new uh, announcement is that they're going to uh, they're going to move into uh, into the utilities market, and they've actually been uh, been testing that here in New Zealand with with some success, by the sounds of it, uh, Brett. Yeah, I think didn't we figure out it was Watercare here in Auckland and AMP. AMP. Yeah, and we were talking earlier just about how the um, the improvement it must make for cash flow. I think some of the stats around was it an improvement of twenty percent. Twenty percent increase in uh, bills time, being paid on time, on time once payment. the consumers uh, are getting a text and using the Ch- app. Chief financial officers will love them. Right? What an you know yeah. brilliant idea. And if you go to their website, like um, I know when I was at Callahan, these guys had some interactions with with Callahan, and um, um, everyone spoke very highly of of the you know the technology, the leadership. Um, and the, you go to the website, the value proposition is just so simple, right? It's just a brilliant idea executed well and communicated perfectly, you know? Becomes a no-brainer for an organisation exactly. to want to want to sign up with, yeah. with this. I mean, when you compare alternatives such as people having to go to New Zealand Post and to walk into a store to pay a bill yeah. and, um, you know, those those sorts of things or, or in the US where people have to send checks, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, to pay bills. Yeah. That I mean, that's that's still you what you have to do. No, no, not for many, I've, many. I years. must have one. I just don't have any idea. <laughs> Someone's it got it somewhere. I assume. Do they expire? God, I hope so. Better go and have a look for it. I, I remember. Oh. I remember talking to somebody. This would be going back a few years when checkbooks were were still you know semi common. I'm not sure if I still had one at that stage, but they were they were telling me that um, some of their checks had got uh, had got presented. But they hadn't lost their checkbook, and uh, what had happened? Someone had broken into their vehicle, uh, seen the seen the uh, checkbook, and Take a couple cut, out of the back, cut some out uh, from from the back, and cut them out close to the seam, yeah, so yeah. it wasn't visible. And I know some of the listeners listening will go, "What is a check? And what is a checkbook? I've never seen one in my life." Um, so apologies to uh, to that group of uh, younger listeners, under um, uh, those under fifty. Um, no, no, it's not quite that bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, that's that's something to Google anyway. Um, I think yes. Pushpay is just it's a great example of um, usability driving a business yes. isn't it like a great great focus sales force as well I mean they really pushed hard into into America yeah. and, and used the, the New Zealand network that they had through the church environment here but just a simple nice easy clean interface it seems to be sort of a game changer across all sorts of markets yeah very, yeah, very clear what they were doing and beautiful design to go and do it you yeah. know it's just it's such a great combination and who would have thought? I mean, if someone had arrived on your doorstep, Paul, three three years back, and said, "I've got this great idea for you know, we're going to get into the church payments thing." So, is that a market? Does that even exist? They've obviously done all the research, figured out the numbers. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Mm. I don't know how big's the company. How many people do they have? Um, I think it's up into the the hundreds now. Oh, okay. if, if I'm if I'm not Whoa. mistaken, it's certainly yeah. I think north of north of a hundred. Um, and I mean that five hundred million dollar valuation is uh, is is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So quite a curious one. Um, there's a whole lot more obviously going on in around that whole sort of finance sector. Um, we'll probably get um, see if uh, James uh, Bergen from uh, ASB can come back on the on the podcast again at at some stage in the not not too distant future. Some of the things that I hassled him about uh, last time he was in, they've gone away and actually done. So they've they've been ticking things off their uh, off their list. So that's good. We'll dive into some more of those topics in a future episode. 
I think that's probably us for this week. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining the podcast again. Thank you for having me again. It was a pleasure. Cheers. Now, uh, if anyone wants to uh, track either of you down, Brett, what's the best way to hit you up? Are you, uh, you uh, you're on Twitter, aren't you? I'm on Twitter. Um, Brett Roberts is my Twitter handle. Um, and the other place is LinkedIn, but you have to be a real person before I add you. So, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. That's good. Yeah, and same. Find me on LinkedIn's best. Yeah. Really. Okay. Jeremy O'Hanlon on LinkedIn. Cool. That, that's good. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you want to uh, reach me, any feedback on the podcast or, or anything else, uh, certainly hit me on uh, Twitter, at Paul Spain. I'm doing more and more on uh, Facebook, but a Facebook Live and so on, so facebook.com slash Paul Spain, or you can just email me, paul at spain.nz. All right, well, that's us for this week. Thank you, everybody, very much for uh, for listening in, and we'll catch you again next week. All right, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.